Miracy. I thought that was a really helpful reminder in, you know, when people are being bombarded by messages telling them that, like, you have to do X, Y, and Z on social media, and you have to, like, be doing all these, you know, marketing techniques that aren't necessarily going to work for you in the sense that, yeah, again, they're not going to be sustainable. Hello, and welcome to Course Lab. I'm Ariini, the director of growth at Miracy, and I'm here with my co-host, Abe Crystal, the co-founder of Rizuku. Hey, Ari. Today, we welcome Diana Rowan to the show. Diana puts the lie to the phrase starving artist. She's a harpist, a teacher, composer, and the founder of the Bright Way Guild, a thriving online academy and community for creatives. Thank you for joining us today, Diana. Thank you. So to kick us off, could you give us a 30,000-foot view of kind of yourself and how you came to the course building industry? I am a musician and composer, all the things you said, and so I'd been teaching for quite a long time, and I'd been seeing students one-on-one in person, uh, mostly harp and piano. And then I began traveling around the world a lot, performing, and I got my PhD in Bulgaria. I love Bulgarian music, so that's a long story. But essentially, I couldn't see my students in person as regularly. So I began teaching them on Skype back in the day. And I mean, the resolution was pretty much zero, but still, we were able to get work done. And I began to realize that I could reach out to a larger audience this way. I could teach more than one student at a time. Because I did find myself, although I really customized my lessons a lot, there still was a lot of basic information that I was repeating in every single lesson. And eventually what I did was create a membership for harpists where I talk about those essential principles to a large group of people. And then they have individual lessons about their own specific things that they want to work on. So it's a super efficient way of doing things. And the most incredible thing to me was how the community sprung up around it. Because another thing with one-on-one teaching had been that my students actually didn't know each other except for when we would get together for recitals and things like that. So there's one big 30,000-foot view. The other big part was I would present at harp conferences and so on around the world. And I noticed it was a very small and exclusive group of people who could afford to make it to these conferences. And from traveling around the world a lot, I did meet many, many harpists and other interesting creatives who weren't part of the circuit. And I was like, what would it be like if I created an online conference? Now, I didn't know about virtual summits at the time, but that's essentially what it was. You know, I created virtual summits. I did four of them in total, where I brought in amazing harpists that were not necessarily part of the usual circuit and introduced them to the harp world. And that was an incredible experience for absolutely everybody. I loved, loved doing it. And perhaps the most exciting part was how much it democratized the, the harp world. You know, it became much more accessible to people. So... Could you tell us a little bit more about the membership that you've built? It sounds to me, and I'm just kind of saying it again to make sure I understood it correctly. So there is pre-recorded content that's for the... Yeah. Okay. So it's not group lessons. It's there's pre-recorded content and then there are individual lessons with your students. 
Yeah. Now, not everybody in my membership takes individual lessons mm, with me. Okay. Some of them do. Some of them take with someone else. Some of them don't take any individual lessons at all. So there's coursework mm -hmm. that we go through. And that coursework eventually became a book, The Bright Way, Five Steps to Freeing the Creative Within. Then there's a monthly Q&A where I basically workshop our material in real time. And of course, that's recorded because not everybody can make it live. And a hugely important factor is that we have almost daily Zoom meetings in our circle. So we call it the Bright Way Harp Circle. And most of these meetings are actually run by members themselves. And there are numerous other meetings, including two co-practice meetings. And I actually host those ones. And that's where we get together and we practice for an hour and a half. You know, whatever you want to practice, you practice that thing. Essentially, it's co-working. We also have a Facebook group. And so we're pretty full bandwidth as essentially a harp school online and there are many, many elements to the membership, but that doesn't mean that everybody should do everything. Right. So sometimes when people first come in, they try to do everything. And it's like, well, no, it's not intended to do everything. Because some people are social learners. You know, they learn much better in groups. We have these weekly meetings that are happening almost every day. And some people are totally self-study. So they just watch the videos and they don't come to anything live. So how did this start and versus kind of where it ended up? It started essentially as a course with support. That's what I would say it was. There wasn't at the time, so this would have been 20, 2016 maybe, there wasn't the understanding yet about how important community was to courses. And I'm sure you've found over time that the real make or break for a successful course is to have a community component of some sort. So there was absolutely, you know, the secret Facebook group, but I was more focused on, okay, there's this great material that I can share from having already taught, you know, for 30 years and I can just give it to people. It's going to be so cool. And that was really important. But what I came to realize over time was it was really the journey people were going through together, that was the most important thing, to see each other transform, to see each other interact with the material. That was the thing that brought it to a totally different level, and it became increasingly more community-focused. I had originally come in, I think, with more of an idea of, like, I'm going to teach all this stuff. Right. And, and I think many course creators do that, Absolutely. right? We come in, we have a ton of things that we want to unload. And I joke now because I create what are called these spirals, which are essentially these six-month cycles. And so spiral one, I joke back on that. I'm like, that was actually probably four years of learning material that I squeezed into six months and thought people, you know, would be hungering for more. You know, I thought that they would be, oh, this isn't enough. And it was really quite the opposite. Like overwhelming, I'm guessing. Overwhelming. Yeah. yeah. Because overwhelm shuts people down, and that's the end of the game. So another question that I was wondering about was, so it sounds these daily Zoom calls that you now have, it sounds like actually there are a lot of different elements of this community. Is everything, yeah. I know that you don't necessarily run all of these calls, was everything brought in by you, or was it you know, coming from the community? Uh, a lot came from the community. I would say every meeting was a response to members wanting that thing, 
Now, none of them ever asked for more coursework, but what they would ask for was meetings and opportunities to connect. And just having that one Zoom link, you know, we have one link to roll them all. So we use one link, they get on that link, and it can access all the meetings, all the Q&As, just making it really easy for them. I think that has been super huge. And so it came from them. The co-practice came from me. I had been having a lot of success with co-working in another context, um, actually in a marketing group. And I was like, God, this co-working works really well. What if I used it for music practice? So one question I had, it sounds like, as you were saying earlier, some people are using everything and taking advantage mm -hmm. of everything available to them. And some people are, you know, doing essentially the bare minimum. And of course, everyone is welcome. Whatever works for them is great. They're all in the same tier as far as pricing? No. Okay. They come in at different prices based on time. You know, my original members are sitting there at a very low price. And then my newer members are at a higher price point. I mean, a lot more is included. And, you know, I like rewarding my original members with that low price that never changes for them. Awesome. Abe, questions? Just curious to hear more about how you went from focusing on music and harp to like a broader focus. It, it seems like a, a big transition to go from like an area of, of specific skill to like yeah. a, a much sort of broader domain. Yeah. One of my specialties is helping people get through performance anxiety. So stage fright, which is a huge problem for musicians and actually for a lot of people in general, you know, they get afraid to speak in public and so on. And I actually suffered terrible performance anxiety. It was so bad, I actually gave up music for four years mm. solid. And I did find my way back to confidence. And it was an arduous journey. And I managed to boil down that journey and what makes for a successful journey into my method of teaching, which I call the bright way. And at first I taught that to a very select group of students, probably for a couple of years. And I call that the harp ecosystem. And that's where we deeply went into my system. And I saw them all move past performance anxiety to going out to performing with confidence and all of this. So I was like, you know, this is something very unique that I can offer to the world. I definitely want to teach harp techniques, and I do have a specialty in that I teach world harp techniques. I will teach about African harp techniques, Latin American, Celtic. But I'm also really interested in what's behind all of that, the creative process, getting in touch with your creative voice, being able to recognize it and manifest it in the world with confidence. That became a total mission for me because it had been so hard for me to do that. You know, I knew I had it inside me, although there were definitely moments I had doubts, but there was no system for accessing that. And, and I did come up with a system for it. And so I, I think that's why Abe, I kind of pulled back from the direct, here's what you can do with the harp in this context, here's what you can do to this deep dive into creativity. What do you, I mean, what have been your lessons learned in terms of teaching and helping people with that sort of broader you know, area. It's going broader gives you a lot of flexibility, but it can also, seems like it can also be more challenging in some ways, right? It's not a 
yeah. specific skill or technique that you're teaching. That came up much more when my book got published because my publishers very much wanted me to play down that I was a musician and play up that this process works for anybody who wants to be more creative. Mm. The big problem for me became I didn't know who I was talking to at that point. You know, I couldn't target my messaging in a way that felt right to me. I was just kind of like, well, you can be creative and this is how. And I didn't have any specifics about someone who, for instance, works in an office and wants to be more creative. You know, I can be so granular with musicians. I know exactly what it feels like to go through the creative process. But when it got to trying to address a wider audience, I got confused. And so I would say that was a big lesson learned because then I pivoted back to like, look, you know, I'm going to talk about being a musician because that's who I am. And that's my direct experience. And yes, 100%, I know that my system works for other people, but I can't talk to them in an, a totally authentic way, the way that I can to musicians. I can't give them specifics that make them feel seen. And I think the most important thing for a student is to feel seen by the guide. So that was a huge lesson learned. Any guidance or advice for people, you know, looking to go to similar journey, right? Go take, go from the expertise they're currently delivering, whether that's one-on-one or other formats to becoming a like course creator and facilitator. I mean, partly where I'm going with that is like you emphasize the importance of community, but for people starting out, that could be challenging, right? Like you can't have an active community. How to create an audience. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I do have to say that creating the virtual summits that I did, the online harp conferences, that did create a huge audience. And that's kind of a big task to undertake, you know? So that is not necessarily realistic for people to do unless they're willing to spend a lot of time, in which case it's totally realistic to do. You know, it's not like it's so hard. It's just time consuming. So I did build the audience that way before I offered the membership. But I would say, you know, relationships are everything when it comes to almost anything. You know, going into Facebook groups and talking with other people who are dealing with issues that you want to teach about and just giving some feedback to people who are struggling, just a little tip here and there, starting to build relationships that way, but in a very respectful way. Because, you know, if you go into someone else's Facebook group and you're basically, you know, selling your thing, that can be a little disconcerting. But organically building up your own Facebook group around your topic, I think is huge. And then in tandem, it's going to be using social media. So having little tips that you are teaching. So just really breaking it down tiny and going on TikTok, for example, I think would help in the audience building. Absolutely. The bottom line is to build your mailing list. So that is the most important thing is to build up your own email list of people so that you can have a community. You know, you do have to learn about marketing. There's no way around that. And if you have the bandwidth for it, a few Facebook ads could go a long way. So I'm curious, I mean, you've been speaking about building the audience. And I mean, I agree. If you don't have an audience to market to, then you're not going to be, you don't have a business. Yeah. Once you, you know, had that audience, you started the membership, you've built a very robust, very active community. 
um, which is also mm -hmm. not something that's easy to do. And I feel like a lot of course creators would like to have within their courses within their programs. What are the activities that you took kind of at first to foster that community within the membership? Showing up on Facebook Lives within the secret group mm. was really important. Emphasizing that it was a secret group and nothing could be found by anybody outside the group. In fact, the group itself can't be found unless you get a direct link to it. So assuring people that they were safe and assuring them that their experience mattered and I wanted to hear from them that I was learning from them, that I'm not here judging them in any way, that it's all about growth and we're growing together. It was really about creating an atmosphere of safety and respect and fun, inquiry, safe to make mistakes. You know, I've done this online work for, in one capacity or another, actually since basically 2010 even, a long time. And, you know, I find myself sort of at a crossroads in terms of one of the things we were talking about with social media and growing your audience. I think I have gotten very comfortable with my community and keeping it safe and, and smaller, essentially. And I have not been active on my YouTube channel. So here's confession time, because I know everybody goes through struggles. And I just haven't found a way until recently, it's starting to come to me now, where I felt like being on social media. I just mm. didn't want to do it. And you do have to audience build. It is essential. I, if you not only want to grow, but you want to even maintain. Because if you are trying to have 100% retention, life isn't like that. Things happen to people. They can't always stay with you. And so I kind of went through a dark night of the soul in terms of dealing with audience building, with social media, with emailing my list. And I'm starting to come out of that. And I think part of it was really feeling into sharing authentically and coming at it from a very everyday way. So I think, you know, my plan going forward is to show unpolished the creative process, snippets of it, thoughts around it, and go from there. Have it very much be a conversation. Because I had the model of from a few years back, and I think I was stuck in it, where you need to come in fast, say something really pithy, and hit hard and get out of there. And I don't think that's what people want anymore. And I certainly don't want it. Thank you. You're welcome. So before we wrap up, uh, where can our audience go to learn more about you and The Bright Way? My website is my name. So it's dianarowan.com. And everything is there. It's a very comprehensive website. Awesome. Thank you so much, Diana, for taking the time to be yeah, here with us today. Yeah, thank you, guys. I yeah, I feel like I want to ask you a <laughs> bunch of questions with all your expertise. <laughs> as soon as you launch your podcast. Yeah, yeah. Now stick around for my favorite part of the show, where Abe and Ari will pull out the best takeaways for you to apply to your course. We are back for the debrief after a very in-depth conversation uh, with Diana. Yeah, well, what was jumping out for you? Well, one thing that I found really interesting and I think is a really good lesson is how she was saying that the 
publisher of her book kind of wanted to push her to reach out to a broader audience, broader than um, musicians. So she started with the audience of harpists and, you know, okay, she can go. She was thinking to go one realm further and go to musicians. And then they wanted her to go even broader than that. But she no longer felt like she would be able to communicate effectively with that group, which I think is a really important thing to be thinking about. You know, there's always a temptation to go broader and reach more people. I want to, you know, serve everybody, but making sure that you're able to speak in the language of the people that you want to really reach and making sure that they resonate with you and so speaking in the right way is really important. And she, you know, she really stuck to her guns there, which is great. Yeah, I mean, I think her, her story shows the right way to do it. Mm-hmm. And like, you're not hearing the stories of the people who like started with this giant, like broad vision because they, they never got any traction. Right. <laughs> and so they're not on the podcast, right? It, you know, the, the whole idea is start with something very small, but that you understand very deeply, mm-hmm. right? So like, she started with, you know, helping harpists, which is, is like very focused and something that she understood, like very deeply. Mm-hmm. And then by working closely with those people and listening to their questions, she realized over time that there were these much broader questions around creativity. And that led to a book and that led to a membership and led to all these other things. But if she had tried to just like come up with that giant vision from scratch and all these different offerings from scratch right at the beginning, it wouldn't have worked at all. Yeah. And kind of building on that, it's also the way that she built her community. You know, she started with she started small essentially with the bare bones of what was needed. She did put a bit too much as far as teaching material that she did mention, but she really did listen to her community around, you know, what are they looking for? What do they really want? And grew it in that way and kind of allowed them to, to a certain extent, guide how it grew, Mm -hmm. which made a much more, I'm sure, vibrant community that people are a lot more invested in. And, you know, from what you were saying, people have been in it for years now. Yeah, community-led rather than just trying to throw things out there. I, I mean, the other takeaway, I think, from her approach is that it's it's very grounded, right? Like, she's not trying to just, like, pursue tactics because someone told her to do something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's even said, like, you know, she's not, like, posting little updates to social media anymore because that just doesn't, it's, it's not aligned with what she wants to do and how she wants to help mm-hmm. people. So having that like self-awareness of like what feels valuable, right? What do you really want to spend your sort of creative energy on? That's what's ultimately going to work for your marketing. If you are in the business of sharing information, Mm -hmm. helping people, you can't really engineer that or like you can for a short time, but like you have ultimately you have to to care about what you're sharing with the world or it's not going to click with people. It's not going to click with people and you're not going to be able to continue doing it. It's not sustainable. Yeah, yeah. So I thought that was a really helpful reminder in, you know, when people are being bombarded by messages telling them that, like, you have to do X, Y, and Z on social media and you have to, like, be doing all these, you know, marketing techniques that aren't necessarily going to work for you in the sense that, yeah, again, they're not going to be sustainable for you. Yeah. And, I mean, she did mention, I think this is also important to remember, do not use that as an excuse to not do marketing at all. You have yeah. to do marketing, but really do what is sustainable. And you need to figure yeah. out for yourself what that is. Yeah. Great. Awesome. Diana is the founder of The Bright Way and the author of The Bright Way, Five Steps to Freeing the Creative Within. You can learn more about her at dianarowan.com. That's Diana with an A and Rowan. 
R-O-W-A-N, dianarowan.com. Thank you for listening to Course Lab. I'm Abe Crystal, co-founder and CEO of Riziku, here with my co-host, Ari Eni. Course Lab is part of the Mercy FM podcast network, which also includes such shows as Once Upon a Business and Making It. This episode of Course Lab was produced by Cynthia Lamb and Danny Eni is our executive producer. If you don't want to miss the excellent episodes coming up on Course Lab, make sure to follow us on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And are you enjoying our show? If so, go ahead and leave us a starred review. It really does make a difference. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.